I'll just talk. There it is. <laughs> I won't talk quite so loud. Now, everybody awake this morning? We're going we're gonna to make sure that you're a little awake this morning. Here's what we're going to do, a little audience participation to start. Um, I need you to help me, okay? I want this section over here, okay, that, the one Don's in over here, okay, to, to whenever I call for the D, I want you to yell D as loud as you can. Got it? Okay, these two middle sections should be the strongest, right? You get the letter T, all right? Okay? Section over here on my right, everyone's far left. You get the R. Ready? Got it? Everybody clear? I know this is tough. It's early, you know. Ready? Give me a D. D. That's pretty weak. <laughs> Give me a D. D. Give me a T. D. Nice. Give me an R. R. Give me a D. Give me a T. Give me an R. R. What does it stand for? (laughs) DTR. How many of you? How many of you know what that means? Go ahead and raise your hand if you know what that means. Raise them high. Be proud. Like seven of you. All right. We are. uh, We're in our second week of our Facebook series. And uh, what we're trying to do in this uh, series is, is we're looking at book, and we're, we're looking at how superficial has become the new sincere. And uh, what DTR is, and I'll tell you what it is here in just a minute, but um, if, you're, if you're a young guy in a relationship with a girl, and, and you know these three letters, these three letters are enough to strike fear into your life, okay? These three letters are enough to make you run, it's enough to, to make you just really nervous. And, and most young guys, especially, will avoid it by all means possible. Uh, oftentimes, they'll even end a relationship if they feel like the DTR talk is coming. All right? DTR. Um, anybody know? I heard somebody yell it. DTR stands for? How about define? We're going to use define the relationship just because that's what's in my notes. All right? Define the relationship. Define the relationship, all right? So there's some notes on the back of your bulletin if you want to fill these out and go, go with it. Um, it, it is, it's one of those things, if you ever are, are on Facebook and you see someone's status or they send you a note that says DTR, what they're wanting you to do is to define your relationship. They want you to change what it means, you know, what, what's going on with your life. They, they want to know. They want to know what, what it stands for. It's, it's that official talk that you have in every relationship at some point to determine the level of commitment that you may have. It's where you sit down and, and you talk and you determine if you want to be committed or not in this relationship, DTR. And, and I remember my freshman year of college, um, I was hanging out with this girl and, and we were just talking and she wanted to have, and even though we didn't have this terminology, she wanted to have a DTR conversation right there on the spot. Now. I hadn't even taken her out yet. We just kind of barely met, all right? And I have to tell you what I did. I ran. I absolutely ran. I never, never asked her out. You know, it was one of those scary things. You just kind of, you know, stood way, way away from her. It was scary. I mean, it was just really scary. How you feel about, you know, the relationship will determine how you respond to this DTR, how you want to determine the relationship. Because, honestly, if you love that person, then you're ready to have that conversation, right? You are ready to, to talk about it. You're ready to define that relationship. It can't come soon enough. That's what you want to do. But, but maybe you're just not that committed. I mean, if we can be honest. Sometimes in a relationship, you just kind of enjoy hanging out, right? You enjoy hanging out on the weekends. It, it's something that you like to do, but you're not excited about the DTR talk, all right? You're just not excited about that. Um, today, uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit. 
But the question is, if you're asked to determine the relationship or define the relationship, what kind of response do you have? Do you get short of breath and get kind of nervous? And you're just kind of like, whoa, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Do you have that fight or flight response? You know what I'm talking about? You're either going to get after it or you're going to run. What kind of response do you have? And oftentimes, it just really depends on how you feel about the relationship. And so my guess is for the next few minutes that most of us in this room are going to kind of experience maybe some or one or all of those emotions because I want to have a DTR talk with you this morning. I want to challenge you to define the relationship that you have with Jesus. Now, I get it because, you know, looking out at the audience this morning, there are some of you here today that are, this is kind of like a first date, all right? And you're not even close to being ready to define the relationship with Jesus, all right? That's okay. And I tell you, just kind of sit back and relax. You can listen if you want to. I encourage you to, you know, but just kind of hang in there with us for a few minutes. For, but for most of us here this morning, we, we really are at a place where we need to define the relationship with Jesus. We need to find out where we stand with Him. Now, how many of you have at least a cursory understanding of Facebook enough to know what it means to be a fan of something? Anybody know that? Okay, good. You got that? Um, Jeff, if you show the, uh, the page that we have, our, our, there you go. Um, it's not on this one because I'm actually a fan of our own church website page on Facebook, so there you go. But on the top of the screen, if you're looking at different pages, there's, there's a little thumbs up icon that says like. And if you click that, you can become a fan of whatever that is. Now, now, what you need to understand is that whenever you um, become a fan of something, the way you do that is you click on that. And we become fans of what? Well, oftentimes on Facebook, public figures such as musicians and actors and politicians and different people like that, they have a page. And you don't become friends with them like you would an individual. Instead, you become a fan. You click that little icon, or your thumbs up, and you become a fan of them, and uh, that's what you do. Anyone have a guess on who, what public figure, has the most fans on Facebook? What's that? Okay, no? How many people would believe that Lady Gaga has the most fans? Well, you're right. Lady Gaga has the most fans. Anyone want to take a guess? As of last night, because it changes all the time, but as of last night, 28.1 million fans. And you could be one of them if you chose. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Lady Gaga has 28.1 million fans, all right? She's, at, she's, she's you know, knocking it out of the park. Did you know that uh, Jesus has a public figure page? Well, he does. You can find that if you want to. Uh, with that in mind, I, I want to ask you a question. And here's, here's kind of where we're going to land for a few minutes. Using Facebook terminology, the question is, are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? Because I want to propose that there's a big difference between the two. The word fan is simply defined as an enthusiastic admirer, whereas a follower is a disciple, a student, a zealot. And as good as being a fan of Jesus may seem to be and maybe what we want to be, I think it's not exactly what Jesus had in mind. He doesn't want us just to be a fan. If you read through the Gospels uh, in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see at different points in Jesus' ministry, he would draw a line in the sand. He would draw a line in the sand, and he would separate the fans from the followers. Now, believe it or not, especially over here, believe it or not, Facebook hasn't always been around. Okay? Jesus didn't exactly have Facebook terminology to use. So Jesus didn't use fan and follower. Instead, he used a couple other terms. He would use a term like sheep 
and goats. He would use a, a, a phrase like, well, there's a wide road that many people follow and many people find it, and there's a narrow road that few people find and few people follow. He says that you have to, to choose which one you're going to do. And he would oftentimes draw a line and he would separate and say, which camp do you want to be in? What do you want to do? Do you want to be a fan or do you want to be a follower? And one of the times that Jesus did this is recorded for us in John chapter 6. And I invite you to turn your Bibles there to, to John chapter 6, page uh, 754 in your blue Bible. If uh, you didn't uh, bring your Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to do that uh, every, every Sunday morning that you come. And, and uh, we're going to look at John chapter 6 here in, in just a moment. Jesus is, is at the height of his popularity at this point. And large crowds are following Jesus. And, and everywhere he went, people wanted to get a glimpse of this guy. They wanted to, to see what he was doing. They, they knew that he was very popular and they wanted to be a, a fan of his. He was performing miracles. And as a result of Jesus performing all these miracles, he had several people who were, who were following after him. And Jesus says to them that, that are coming, the text says this in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. And if you go back to John chapter 4 and John chapter 5, you see that those miraculous signs that he was doing on the sick, he healed the official's son, he also healed a guy that was laying by the, the pool of Bethsaida, and he was healing people, and people were just pretty amazed by that. And look at, look at what the text says again. It says, a great crowd of people followed him because. Because why? Well, because of the miracles. They were following him because of the miracles. And I think Jesus doesn't want them to just keep following him because of the miracles. Because who doesn't like a show, right? And that's what they were following. They were following the show. He wants them to understand that there's a difference between being a fan and being a true follower of his. And at some point, I think Jesus asked them, and I think he asked us to, Define the relationship. We need to take a moment and define the relationship. And we ask that by asking, what's your because? Following Jesus because. What, what's your because? Is it because you like the free Starbucks coffee and snacks? Is it because you like the music? Is it because of the great children's programming? Is it because that, that you can come in and hang out? Is it because that you think God's going to bless your life? Is it because of, of who comes? When people come to church, I think that those are all great initial reasons on why to come. I mean, we tell people about our excellent children's programming. We tell people that, that we have great worship. We tell people that, you know, the guy who speaks, you know, he does it every week, so we hope he's relatively good. We, we tell people these things, and I think that's a good reason for people to initially come. But at some point, Jesus asked us to define the relationship. What's our because? Why are you here? He wants them, and he wants us to be more than just fans. He wants us to be followers. If you jump on down in John chapter 6 and go all the way to verse 66, it says at this point, and, and what point? Well, what happened between what we read and verse 66? Well, here's just real quick what happened. Jesus feeds the 5,000, all right? He takes the, the loaf and, and the fish and he feeds the 5,000, and obviously people are amazed. And after that, Jesus teaches about how he is the bread of life. And he talks about how you've got to, to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and that it's not like what you're used to. And this is different to the point that the disciples even go, you know, the 12 disciples, they say to each other, man, this is tough. Who's going to be able to do what Jesus just said? And then we see Jesus says, you know, the text says at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And Jesus turns to the 12 and asks, are you also going to leave? You see, 
not a lot of disciples, the people who were following Jesus around, the fans of Jesus, they, they all went home. Why? Well, because. Because it was getting tough. Because Jesus said, let's define what we have here. And what Jesus was offering to them, it wasn't exactly the show. that It wasn't what they wanted. It, it was something different. And I think that happens a lot. I think it happens still today. One of the things that we desire to do as a church is, is to let people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ at their own pace. To come in and, and to meet them right where they are and, and to, to let them know that, that God loves them very much and, and has a plan for them. But after a while, whenever we begin to, to understand what following Jesus actually means and, and what it entails, that it actually means commitment, it, it actually means life change, for many people, that's really not what they're interested in. They just really don't want that. And so they leave and they go home and they go do something different. And, and sadly, I mean, let's just be honest, that's happened to people and it, that may happen to you at some point. You may, you may explore this for a while and, and begin to understand things pretty well and then you're like, you know what, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not sure that's what I really want. Because you're not sure if you really want what God has in store for you. I don't know if you're a fan or a follower. I don't know where you are in the spectrum. But Jesus, I think He wants to challenge all of us to take a deeper step. To reach for a different level. Some people are fans of Jesus, and they've always been fans of Jesus. I mean, it's kind of like being a fan of Jesus is like being a fan of the Phillies, or being a fan of the Mets or the Yankees, right? You're just kind of a fan of Jesus like you're a fan of a team. You follow the team. You kind of do that. Why? Well, because... You know, your dad was a fan of the Phillies. Your dad was a fan of the Mets or the Yankees. And so he kind of taught you what it means to be a fan of the team. So you're a fan of the team. Or, or maybe the same thing happened whenever it comes to Jesus. Your, your parents, they also passed on to you what it meant to be a fan of Jesus. And so, yeah, I'm a fan of Jesus. Eh, this whole church thing's not that bad. Maybe, you know, maybe not all the time, but it's not that bad. You don't mind coming a few times a month. It's, it's not that much trouble, right? I mean, it is at 10 in the morning, we're supposed to be there on time. But, you know, it's not that bad. But uh, uh, honestly, if you love Jesus, and I'm not questioning that, okay? I'm not trying to stand up here. We talked about self-righteousness already. I'm not, not trying to be that guy, all right? But if there's something else you want to do, you're going to do it. I'm not talking about coming to church, all right? So just, just remove that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about we love Jesus, but there's things in our life that, that if we want to do, we're going to do them. Now, I may love Jesus, but you know what? I'm going to yell at my husband, I'm going to yell at my husband. I've heard that, okay? <laughs> Not from my wife, I'll clarify that. <laughs> we love Jesus, but, but we say things like, but don't ask me to forgive that person who's hurt me. Yeah, I love Jesus, but I just, I just don't ask me to make any more of a commitment. Don't ask me to do anything that's uncomfortable. Don't ask me to do anything different than those who were in my family before me. Don't ask me to do anything more than what I am right now. And the reality is, at least for me, and I'll talk about me for just a moment, it comes down to this. We want a no-strings-attached relationship with Jesus. We want to be enough of a fan of Jesus that we get all the benefits of Jesus without having to carry a cross and really be a follower. Is that what we're looking for? I know a lot of people that that's what they're looking for. Sometimes I find that I myself, that's what I'm looking for. There's a verse in Luke chapter 9 which Jesus offers an invitation. And in doing so, He also defines the relationship that He wants to have with us. He says, here's what it means to follow Me if you really want to follow Me. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 says, 
if anyone, and that word anyone, it's a pretty inclusive term, anyone. In the Greek, when you translate that word anyone out in Greek, it means anyone, okay? Anyone. So it's, it's wide open. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is the relationship that Jesus is looking for. He's looking for a relationship where we daily deny ourselves. And that word deny uh, for a follower, it's not just saying no to yourself. It's not just denying yourself in that way. It's not just refusing yourself. What it actually means is a complete and total surrender where you leave everything else behind and you give it all to Him and, and He becomes first. You see, I think what has happened in in churches across the country and maybe even around the world is that a lot of times there's just fans of Jesus because somehow we've replaced the invitation of Jesus to come and deny ourselves with the invitation that we often put out there to come satisfy yourself, to come fulfill yourself, to come find personal happiness in yourself. And we want the salvation that Christ has to offer and yet we don't want to surrender. And I fear that that even I've been guilty of telling people that, that you need to come and, and have the life that Jesus offers. He offers His life and life to the full. And that, that if you'll come to Jesus, you'll have this incredible life. And I believe that's true. I believe it to my core that that's true. But we also have to understand that you cannot have life without first having death. It just doesn't work. Until we die to ourselves, you can never experience the true fullness of life that God has to offer to us. You can't separate the two. So people come to Jesus because, well, who doesn't want eternal life, right? I'm for that. Are you for that? I think we're all for that. We we all want that, right? Who doesn't want salvation? And we look at it and go, you know what? Hey, if all I have to do is come to church a few times a month and, and listen to some great music and hear a motivational speaker while my kids are in class, then count me in. I'll become a fan. I'll click the thumbs up. I'm good. I, I, want, I want that. But at some point, Jesus calls for more than that from you. He calls you to be a committed follower and not just a fan. I know that for the Christians in the early church, this was well understood. They they got this concept because whenever they became a follower of Jesus, they left everything else behind. They left behind whatever faith tradition it was that they grew up with. It It was going to cost them something. It wasn't going to be easy. It wasn't going to be free. Sometimes it would even cost them their entire family. When someone in the early church decided to become a follower of Jesus, the first thing they did was they went out and they were baptized. And you can go through the book of Acts and you can read through that. And, and I would encourage you to do that, to, to go through the book of Acts and, and just look these things up. Throughout the history of the early church, that's what they did. And you will find that, that when people heard about Jesus and they accepted him, that they were baptized. They became a follower of Jesus. And the reason why this was so important uh, that is that baptism, in a way, In a way, it separates the fans from the followers. In baptism, we're declaring, I am completely devoted. It's a symbol of dying to ourself and then rising to follow Jesus. Listen to the words of Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. It says, Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, that we joined Him in His death? For we died and were buried. And those two terms there, died and buried, they're past tense. It's done. It's taken care of. We were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now also we may live new lives. Paul says that baptism is a decision to die. It's a decision to die to yourself. It's a decision to surrender 
your own life. And it's a moment where you say, I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to die to myself, and I'm going to live for Jesus. It's a no-exception clause type thing. There's no fine print. But I think a lot of times that we as fans of Jesus want to have this conditional surrender, right? We want to say, okay, Jesus, all right, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I want to follow you, but, right? We do that. Uh, I do that. Maybe you don't. Maybe you've got this all figured out. But I, I think we do that. We say, I want to follow you, Jesus, but there's, there's this thing. There's this one thing. Here's the thing. If you're dying to sell, you can't be sort of dead, right? You can't be like the man in black and be mostly dead. You have to be all dead. You've, you've got to be You've got to die to yourself. And when you're baptized, according to Romans chapter 6, it's a picture of dying to yourself. You go under the water, and at that moment, you're committing yourself to God, and you're saying to the world, I die to myself. I completely deny myself. I'm giving it all over to you. And you come back out of the water, and it represents that forgiveness that you received, and, and you have this new life, and you're going to attempt to live this new life in Him. Hear, hear me clearly as I say this, okay? The water doesn't save you. Repentance doesn't save you. Belief doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Okay? Let's be very clear. Jesus saves you. It's what Jesus does for us. That's how we're saved. And we say to Him that we are willing to surrender everything. And we give it all to Him. And whenever we come up out of that water, we're saying, you know what, I've accepted His salvation. I've accepted a new life. And we die to ourselves. A fellow pastor shared a story of one of his recent trips to Africa. And he said this. He said that while he was there, he had the opportunity to baptize several young Muslim men uh, who were in their 20s uh, in a water tank. And, and right before he went to baptize them, the missionary who lived there, who, who was going to stay there, said to him these words. He says, just so you know, these men who are being baptized, they're not going to be able to go back to their families. They're not going to be able to go back to their villages, to their tribes. They're not going to be able to go back there because of their commitment to Jesus, because of their decision to follow Jesus and their public baptism. They are no longer welcome at home. I don't think we understand that. But they do. They understand that a decision to follow Jesus is a decision to deny themselves, a decision to say, I'm devoted to Jesus above all else. I'm devoted to Jesus above my family, above my own traditions, above what's convenient for me, above what I'm comfortable with. I am putting you first, Jesus. A follower does that. But not a fan. A fan, at some point, will have a choice to make between God and, and something else and and they'll say things like, you know what, yeah, I love Jesus, but I'm going to choose this relationship instead of choosing to follow Jesus. I love Jesus, but I'm going to continue to do things the way that I know how to do them or the way that I like doing them. I love you, Jesus, but I'm just not ready to surrender. I love you, Jesus, but... And we have that conditional response. So my question is, what's keeping you from being a committed follower of Jesus? Because I would venture to say it's different for us. What's keeping you from being that committed follower? What's holding you back? I want to challenge you to define the relationship. Where do you stand? Remember that verse we read earlier in Luke chapter 9, verse 23? It says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's interesting what happens a little later there in, in Luke chapter 9. We run across some potential followers of Jesus who, as we read through it, we find out that they become nothing more than just fans of Jesus. 
Uh, each of them has something that's keeping them from following Jesus at this time. And, and as we read through these, see, see if these resonate with you, or at least resonate with, with anything that, that you can think of. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57, we meet fan number one. The text says this, it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And that word wherever is a huge word that this guy uses. It's a very inclusive word. It literally means wherever, unconditionally, wherever. He says, he says I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I think it's interesting. Jesus says to him, hey, you know what, that's great, but you need to understand something. I don't have a Hilton's reward card, all right? Just so you know. There's no free stays. I don't have a home. I'm homeless here. And I can't help but truly wonder if the thing that has kept kept you from following, the same thing that keeps me from really following sometimes is that you love comfort. Don't we love comfort? We, by nature, we're comfort seekers, aren't we? We see the potential of being comfortable and we go for it. We are the people of day spas, aren't we? We, we are the people of hot tubs and lazy boys and snuggies, right? That's what we do because we like to be comfortable. But can I tell you, there's no way to get comfortable when there's a cross on your back. No matter how you adjust that cross, it's just not going to be comfortable. So a fan of Jesus says, you know what, I, I want to be comfortable. And a fan of Jesus is driven by the words, am I comfortable? Bonhoeffer put it this way, he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die cross is not comfortable. In verse 59, we read about fan number two. The text says, Jesus said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Sound a little harsh? You go bury, let the dead bury their own dead. It's like, Jesus, back off. I mean, hold on. But we need to understand something about the culture and the time where this, this, this is taking place. The chances are this man's father isn't dead. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been there. It's a tradition and culture that, that you would stay with your father until your father died, and then you would receive the inheritance that was due to you, and then you would move into a different season of life. And that's probably what this guy is referring to. Him. He's saying, you know what, my, my father's going to die someday, and, and I want to go get my inheritance and, and get some property and settle down. And then, in other words, this guy is saying, you know what, I will follow, but I'm going to follow later. I want to follow later. And I think that's oftentimes what a lot of us do as well. We have good intentions, and, and we may leave here every week you know, with these good intentions. You know, you know what, I, I think, yeah, maybe I need to go read a little bit more. I, I need to go through Acts and, and really look at Romans and see what it, this whole thing about baptism is all about. And we have, we have good intentions, and we, we say such things as, you know what, yep, today's the day. I'm going to change my life. I, I'm going to do it wholeheartedly. I, I'm going to lead my family. I, I'm going I'm to do this. But you know what? It's really, really not a good time. I'm really busy. I probably should wait until soccer season is over. Um, I probably need to wait till that project at work is done. I, I, I need to, to wait till this, and then I can catch my breath, and whew, then, then I'll get it right with Jesus. And what do we do? We, we put it off. We put off Jesus kind of like we put off that diet. You know, I, I'm going to start the diet after I eat this, you know, chicken chimichanga and my 12-layer chocolate cake, then I'll get to it, right? Right after this. We put off Jesus and we say, you know what, I'll follow you, but you know what, let me get out of college first because there may be some things in college that wouldn't really glorify you, so let me get done with college first. Let me, let me find a wife and get married. When we have kids, then we'll get back into church, right? That's, I'll do it later. 
And we just kind of keep hitting that proverbial snooze button with Jesus, don't we? Yeah, just five more minutes. Just five more minutes. And we just keep putting it off. We want to follow Jesus. And I'm not saying you don't. I think you really do. But we just say, I'll do it later. Then we meet fan number three. I've kind of labeled him a part-time fan. We find him in verse 61. It says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And we need to understand, again, the context of what's going on here uh, in the story. It was customary that if someone were to leave his father's house before the father died, that there would be a party, okay? They would have this week-long, maybe month-long party to say goodbye and you know, meet all of his friends and say, here's what my plans are, and you know, kind of like a graduation party, only really big graduation party. And this guy's saying, hey, I don't want to miss the party. I want to go have my party first, and then I'll, then I'll come. And, and Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus says, I'm not looking for you to go at this half-heartedly. Not halfway. I want all of it. I want you to be all in. And I've got to tell you that God wants that same thing from us. He wants us to be all in, and He loves you enough to allow you to choose. So if you don't want to follow Him, don't. It's okay with Him, kind of. He loves you enough to say, I give you that choice. But either follow me, or don't. He wants your heart. He wants all of you. He really is not interested in you trying to negotiate the terms of your following Him. He wants all of you. One of my favorite stories on, on this subject is found in 1 Kings chapter 19. And, and I really encourage you to read 1 Kings chapter 19 at some point. It's where we find the prophet Elisha. And he's playing Farmville. You know, Facebook people know what Farmville is. You sick people who play Farmville. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Um, Farmville, he's kind of playing Farmville. He's, he's plowing his field with 12 yoke of oxen. In other words, he's got 24 oxen that he's plowing his field with. Now, that may not mean a lot to us here in New Jersey. You know, oxen, you know, 24, big deal. But this means that he's doing really, really well. He has a very comfortable life. He's doing very well for himself. And, and God calls him at that point to follow him. And what does Elisha do? Well, he doesn't say, okay. As soon as the harvest gets in, because I'm out here plowing my field, God, all right? As soon as the harvest gets in, then I'll follow you, because it's going to be a really good year. I've worked really hard when we're doing it. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, whenever I get this established, whenever I feel like things are going well enough that I can pass this on to someone else, then I'll give No, he doesn't say that either. Look at what he does. Here's what he does, and I'm not going to read the chapter. I'm going to just kind of summarize it for you. He takes his plow and all of his farm equipment, and he piles them up in the middle of his field. And then he lights them on fire. And the people from the town see the fire and they're like, hey, Elisha, what's going on? And everybody starts showing up and so he takes his 24 oxen and he slaughters them and he has a cookout. So he feeds the community with this big barbecue with his farm equipment and his oxen. Now, why does he do that? Well, I think that he does that because he's saying, you know what? I'm not coming back. I'm not going out this halfway. I am all in. He doesn't want to keep one hand literally to the plow. He wants to turn it all over to God, and so he burns the plow. What is it for you that's keeping you from being a follower? What is it that causes you to say, well, maybe someday, I'll get to it? Is it a relationship? Is it a lifestyle? Is it a substance? Is it your family? Is it tradition? Is it religion? What is it that keeps you from, from saying, you know what, I want to commit wholeheartedly. Is it what people will think of you? 
Is it the change that you'll have to make? Jesus calls to us and says, I want you to, in Facebook terms, define the relationship. Are you a fan or are you a follower? And that's really what it comes down to because His desire is that you become a follower of His. Ian and the band, they're going to come and we're going to have a time of invitation for you. And it's kind of an extended time of invitation this morning. We're going to sing a couple songs and and we're going to have communion. And it's really, hopefully, a time for you to really reflect on where you are with Christ, where you are in your relationship. What is it that you need to do? What is it that, what step do you need to take? And, and we invite you today to become not just a fan of Jesus, but to become a follower of His, to become a disciple, to become a student, to become a zealot of His. For some of you, that may mean it's time for you to die to yourself and be obedient through baptism. It may mean that you need to examine your own heart and your own life and be honest with yourself about, would you rather live in comfort? Would you rather have those things? Or are you just ready to follow Jesus, but, but later? You want to follow Him on a part-time basis, or are you ready to be all in? He wants us to be all in. And we have the opportunity to extend to you His invitation to not just be a fan, but to be a follower. So if you want to talk to someone, I really invite you to make your way over to the cross and over to that side of the, of the room where we'll be there to, to welcome you and to pray with you and just to talk to you about what it means to be a follower and not just merely a fan. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing this song. If you want to talk to someone, you make your way over to the cross, and we'll meet you there.